This is Books and Nachos, a podcast for those of us who find excitement in the pages of a good book. Fiction and nonfiction, graphic novels and more, we're here to help you find something great to read. Hello once again, welcome to Books and Nachos. This is Brock, and today I'm going to be reviewing the final story left to review in Ian Fleming's For Your Eyes Only short story collection. The namesake of the collection, the story called For Your Eyes Only. For Your Eyes Only is the longest short story in the collection, yep, I said that, and dated last of all the five stories in this collection. As I've mentioned in the previous episodes these past couple of weeks, For Your Eyes Only is a collection of James Bond short stories originally published in 1960. The stories themselves were mostly taken from treatments Fleming drew up for a series of Bond television episodes. When that deal didn't go through, he recycled the plots and made them up to be short stories. Two of the stories in this collection were actually featured in magazine before being put in this collection. For Your Eyes Only begins with the murder of the wealthy Havelocks as they are approached by Major Gonzalez to sell their family estate called Content. Having the plantation and the family for years, the place is not for sale. Gonzalez is there representing Von Hammerstein, a chief in the Cuban Secret Service who wants the land for himself. Refusing to sell, Gonzalez and his men kill the Havelocks. The Havelocks were close friends of M. He was the best man at their wedding. And M has the matter of their murder looked into. Once he is able to track down the whereabouts of Von Hammerstein, Gonzalez and the goons, who will run out of Cuba, he sends Bond on an unofficial mission to rid the world of these people. Bond travels to Vermont, near the Canadian border, to an estate called Echo Lake. When Bond arrives on the scene, he is caught by a woman who turns out to be the Havelock's daughter, Judy, who is armed with a bow and arrow to get revenge on Van Hammerstein. The two decide to work together instead of getting in each other's way. Judy tags Von Hammerstein in the back with a bow and arrow at the exact moment that he dives into the lake. The henchmen from Cuba and Major Gonzalez have a shootout with Bond, where Bond is able to outlast them all. Judy gets a bullet in her arm during the firefight. Her mission complete, somewhat delirious from getting shot, Judy warms up to Bond as he field dresses the wound, and they kiss and get a move on as the story ends. If this sounds a little familiar, that is because there are elements of the story used as part of the plot for the 1981 Eon James Bond movie of the same name, For Your Eyes Only. Havelock is the name of the couple that gets murdered on the boat in the movie, but their daughter's name is Melina instead of Judy. Major Gonzalez also appears in that movie, and he is the guy in the movie who gets the arrow in the back, not Van Hammerstein. Both the Havelocks in the movie and here in the book have an exotic pet bird. So again, a lot of similarities. The short story, For Your Eyes Only, is a solid mini James Bond adventure that shares a lot of elements with the James Bond movie formula we all know. There are plenty of action scenes, and the non-action beats, like Bond in the wilderness on his way to Echo Lake Retreat, could be a lull in the story to some, I admit that, but as Bond gets closer and closer to his destination, I felt tension building more and more. Like in the story From a View to a Kill, we know more about the mission before Bond does, because we witnessed the murder in the first section of the short story, and once Bond enters the picture, he eventually gets caught up. This tactic again helped me get pulled into the Bond scenes. The opening section of the story, where the Havelocks are murdered in their home, is full of suspense and tension. As Major Gonzalez makes his offers and the Havelocks continue to turn him down, Fleming describes the mood changes to the Major's patients. The reader gets a real sense of foreboding and distress. As soon as Gonzalez says, 
you misunderstand me. We know that these people are not going to survive this. And the brutality of the situation hits hard, especially once the bullets fly. The Major's final line before his henchmen open fire, Perhaps we will have better luck with the next owner. Your daughter is chilling. It's as if you can see the couple's faces realizing we are going to die now. The murder was terrifyingly described. Full props to Mr. Fleming for painting such a vivid scene. And after the murder, we learn the phone lines were cut, that they arrived in a stolen car. Details that indicate they were completely prepared for this sort of outcome, if necessary. I don't think it was completely premeditated. For the money negotiations, read that that was a solution they were prepared for and probably preferred, as money was not an object. But those details about how they prepared for the murder really hits home how evil these guys were. The gunfight at the end with Gonzalez hiding behind the table as he and Bond have a long shootout is quite thrilling and expertly described as well. Probably didn't hurt that I've seen that sort of thing before in movies and television, but I enjoy the author's description of the events and actually felt a bit of tension as the shootout progressed. Obviously, I knew Bond was going to survive that, but I wasn't convinced he was going to get out unscathed. We see various shades of the character of Bond in this short story. We see the competent spy, the man resigned to his duty and out to snipe these killers. We see him empathetically accept the job that isn't a formal request, understanding what his boss is going through and what his boss is really asking him to do. And we see a lonely man who is left alone with his thoughts. And when dealing with Judy Havelock, he comes across cold, colder than the Bond we've seen in the other four short stories in this collection. His interaction with Judy when they first meet is downright chauvinistic, as he tells Judy that murdering von Hammerstein is man's work, calls her a bitch, and says the line, I'm telling you, if we get out of this, you're going to get such a spanking that you won't be able to sit for a week. While you could read into this that his behavior is to get her out of his way, or to get her out of harm's way, I think that's a little of me wanting that to be the case. I think the chauvinistic attitude has too much of an edge to it to be all that he's doing this for her benefit take. We do see some decency and humanity towards Judy after the battle, as Bond tends to Judy's wounds as she suddenly becomes more tender, more feminine. Her mission being over, she's no longer competing in this man's world. And that's when Bond takes a shine to her. You see what I mean? And while we're talking about Judy, Judy is similar enough to the character that we see in the movie. She's certainly portrayed as strong and clever, and she has a nice little arc in the book, where Bond has the high-tech weapon and the intelligence world at his disposal. She finds these killers the old-fashioned way and is planning on using her trusty bow and arrow. So that is all cool in and of itself. She is that woman on a mission. And then once she gets the man she came after and is taken out of the battle, wounded, she loses that steeliness, calling the battle awful, as we see her metaphorically and literally let her hair down at the end. The character of M in this story is a more human character than we're used to seeing in the movies. In the scene where he gives Bond the assignment, Fleming is able to convey the struggle M is going through between his personal feelings and his job as to what to do here. Should he send an agent to kill those responsible for the deaths of his close personal friend because they need to die as personal payback? Or because are they really a threat to Her Majesty's kingdom or her allies? The character of Bond in this scene also stands out as he sees through M and takes the unofficial assignment for his boss. We get a sense of friendship and camaraderie here that I didn't expect. And here, M calls Bond James, not 007. In the movies, there are moments like this here and there, like in The Spy Who Loved Me, when M calls him by his first name. But typically, it is much more business, like in the Connery years. M is not terribly social with Bond. So to call him James here was a signal to Bond, and of course to us, the audience, and showing us the rare sign of humanity 
and M. There are parts of this story, minor details, that just didn't sit well for me. For example, Bond packs ham sandwiches for his trek to Echo Lake. James Bond eating a homemade ham sandwich? Yes, he was in the guise of a hunter with his camouflage face and phony hunting license, so the ham sandwich could be part of that, but James Bond eating a homemade ham sandwich did not go down well for me. (laughs) As Bond talks to himself during his trek through the wilderness, we get treated to opinions like hand mowers versus gas-powered lawn mowers, free association about Ethan Allen furniture, and lastly, most strangely, Bond's opinion on chipmunks. These humanizing passages don't ever read like Bond to me, much like in the story from A View to a Kill. It reads more like the author putting his own opinions on these topics through his popular character. While all authors do some of this, again, here it is completely obvious that it is a thinly veiled author's opinion. Lastly, Fleming has the Havelock's African American Maid's dialogue written in a Negro dialect that was certainly more accepted at the time, but today just terribly dates the book. What gets me about it the most is it doesn't add anything to the story. It reads like a purposeful class statement, and I didn't much care for it. Those complaints aside, For Your Eyes Only is a mostly fun, interesting, and entertaining Bond story full of good action and some great character work. Overall, I enjoyed reading For Your Eyes Only, and it certainly is one of the stronger stories in this collection. This concludes my review of the collection of For Your Eyes Only. Of the five stories in this collection, the stories that made their way into this namesake's movie, Risico and For Your Eyes Only, were the most satisfying reads. Admittedly, they had a leg up because I am familiar with them the most because of their connection to the movie. But more importantly, those two stories felt like complete Bond adventures to me, albeit truncated, where the other three stories didn't have that going for them. And if you've been listening to my other reviews in this series, you know I feel that way about the other short stories in this collection. But if you haven't heard those episodes, go to booksandnachos.com to hear those episodes. And you can also find episodes that Stuart recorded reviewing other Ian Fleming works as part of this companion piece to our 25-episode James Bond movie retrospective over at Now Playing, which you can find at nowplayingpodcast.com. Next week, I'll be reviewing my first James Bond novel, Thunderball. So come back next week and take a listen. Books and Nachos will return. Thank you for listening to Books and Nachos. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes, and you can catch back episodes at our website, booksandnachos.com. The music for Books and Nachos is The Right Prescription by Chai Weapon, which can be downloaded at podsafeaudio.com. Books and Nachos is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2012, all rights reserved.